I'm now sitting here with Nina Arndt, the dramaturg for the Goodman Theater's production of The Winter's Tale, directed by uh, Robert Falls, and Nathan Hosner, who is the definitive and, well, at the very least, the <laughs> tallest Polixenes I've ever seen. Uh, and it is a beautiful, um, wonderful production, easily the, the, the best Winter's Tale I've ever seen, but cards on the table to kick us off. I'm not a big fan of The Winter's Tale. Are you, it, do, what do you guys think? Is the, Shakespeare's a great play or his greatest play? Yeah, I would go ahead with great play. I don't know about greatest. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 650, The Winter's Tale. Robert Falls' production of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale at the Goodman Theater in Chicago is the perfect opportunity to talk about this troublesome and famous, or perhaps more accurately, infamous Shakespeare romance. The Goodman production is both incredibly intelligent and clear, and also powerful and funny, so I was really thrilled to chat with the production's dramaturg Nina Arndt and Nathan Hosner, who plays Polixenes, about how the production came together and what kinds of conversations were had in rehearsal. Nina started by identifying a few of the significant aspects of The Winter's Tale, which, depending on your point of view, could be either bugs or features. There's a lot to be said for the sort of stylistic patchwork of it, mm -hmm. which can be seen as a weakness, and I know that many, many people do see it as a weakness. Right. However, I sort of like, I sort of think of it as a long, strange trip and see that as a positive, that you sort of go through this complete Greek tragedy in an hour or so in our production at least, mm -hmm. and then go on a on an odd journey and then and then it all sort of comes together and I think there's actually a certain there's a certern strength in that. You know, you no know, it's not it's not Hamlet. It's not trying to be Hamlet. No, know? no, and 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 it feels like all the stylistic hodgepodgery is is something that they were used to 400 years ago in a way that we're not necessarily quite so used to now. And 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 it's an old line, and I, I don't think I invented. It. I'm sure I didn't, in fact. But you know, they're called romances because it's easier than calling them what they really are, which is tragedies with happy endings. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's a yeah. very very kind of schizophrenic kind of a show because this production is so so tragic in Act One and just near the end of Act One. It completely shifts yeah. in a way that the play does. Well, that's what I think surprised us in the in the playing of it. You could feel the audience when the clowns arrive yeah. needing that, mm -hmm. um, and that Shakespeare actually placed it really well. Because uh, we were worried, like, is it going to be too much of a record scratch that suddenly we're we're <laughs> setting up this thing that happens, this terrible thing, and and then and then we we have these clowns coming out and kind of almost making light of it, but. I think that's the shift. I mean, I think that gives permission yeah. and is a relief to the audience. And there's something about having those clowns that kind of make people feel like it's going to be okay because it's such a right. such a relentless first act You're and right. such a modern. He wrote such a modern. At least I think it resonates right now. It, it could be something if someone were trying to pitch something. Right. This would sell. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very kind of modern sensibility. Well, it's certainly of the moment. This production, yeah. absolutely, and and. And, and seeing it now in this moment is it kind of crystallized for me why I think I don't like the play, but we can get to that. Yeah. One of the things that struck me was it was like the show had been going on for five minutes, and it's just the, the scene between the three of you, uh, uh, Leontes um, uh, and, and, and um, 
What's her name? Hermione. Hermione. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and and five minutes went by, and I went, oh my gosh, I'm watching Shakespeare. Yeah. What did you guys do to the text to mix that up and make it not seem like Shakespeare? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, one, one thing that people might not notice, but but that I think makes a big difference in the way that they perceive it, is that the these and thous are gone. Uh-huh. So it's a lot of it's a lot of use. <laughs> Such an easy change. Such an easy change. Um, and then there are other, you know, the text is cut for one thing, and then there are other words that are that are replaced mm-hmm. um, with something a little bit more contemporary. Um, right in the that first scene, I would say one thing we did is we uh, they talk a lot in the royal we, yes. oh, which we thought people are going to be confused by this what uh-huh. right in the first moments when they're trying to understand who are these people right. what's going on because right. we assume that the audience doesn't know this play for the most part yeah so good assumption but, yeah good. so by making some of those small things yeah. our hope is that things are just clearer and it's just more accessible well and we're trying you know Leontes is an impossible role and mm-hmm. Dan crushes it as far he as does. I'm concerned yeah. <laughs> and and one but but I think what you did is you know you you have to try to humanize Leontes and mm-hmm. and making him talk in the first person singular rather than plural I think helps a ton yeah yeah I mean that and and I think generally you know that you're right that role is is insane yeah. <laughs> so because he turns on a dime not just once but like multiple times and we're supposed to care for him and we're supposed to yeah. care for him yeah. so giving him a, a sort of vocabulary from the get-go that that is a bit more accessible I think helps but at the same time you know the the tension in what we were doing was not wanting to sort of cut all the poetry mm-hmm. or or dumb anything down mm-hmm. because we do want people to have the experience of you know seeing a Shakespeare play and, and some of that is experiencing monologues and ex- experiencing poetry and maybe having something wash over you that you don't actually quite understand right. you know and that that might actually you might be experiencing it more like you would experience music or dance yeah. you know it's not that literal yeah. um, so we so we have that kind of in there still, but not as much as as is in the original text. Yeah. And, well, there's, and there's, you know, what's interesting is that in the original text, there's actually a, a short scene between Camillo and another lord, talking about, the, and it really is kind of this opportunity for the audience's ears to get tuned. Like you have it in uh-huh. Lear, you have that quick little scene before everybody comes right, out. Right. And what's interesting in not doing it, it kind of gives us a responsibility, but also allows us to really land, sit in the language. And I, and I don't mean that in a... Um, Pompous, pretentious? Yeah, yeah, or an, or an indulgent way. Yeah. But the, yeah. the, the, the audience's ears are being tuned in that first scene. And so what's great is we have a little bit of permission to allow that to happen that's a little more contemporary. And then Dan, in moving into those, when you see Leontes go into it, there's a natural... Um, the kind of velocity picks up, and and uh, there's the, the 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 engine starts moving faster, kind of naturally, mm-hmm. and I think that the play just takes off from there, and that's what's kind of fun is that you can feel that engine 
revving up, and hopefully they're along with us. And I think Dan does such a wonderful job with it. Well, he does, and Bob helps a lot because I, I loved the, just how the, the sort of little background uh, accompaniment came, music came up and the lights focused to Leonti, so we're clearly meant to focus on his reaction to yours and Hermione's behavior. It's like, oh, so, I mean, just in terms of the storytelling, mm-hmm. it, that helps helps us track, follow Leontes' uh, mm-hmm. progression so much. Well, and the other thing, too, I assume that you must, I haven't looked at the text, but you must have trimmed away a lot of extraneous lords and ladies and hangers-on in that courtroom, because then that, I mean the court, because it's just the three of them, mm-hmm. rather yes. than a, a stage full of people, and you're going, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Who are they? Yes, I mean, in general, the, the whole first act is a little bit smaller than, than it often is, yeah. and it's in a somewhat more domestic setting. You know, I would say yes. once you get to the courtroom scene, that's often sort of like, we're in a court. Yeah. Um, and this is more like, he's gone a little nuts and he's in the living room and he's making everybody do what he says and sit here and arranging the chairs, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so in a, in a sort of a mad, yes. right, in a mad frenzy. He's in a mad saying. frenzy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which tells us also a lot about what's going on with him. Yes, yes, but it definitely does have, I mean, it's, you know, it's a big castle and there mm-hmm. are a lot of people running around, but yeah. it's, it, this production, I think, has a slightly more domestic feel yes. than many do that have a, a little bit more of a sense of, um, you know, this, this monarch and this yeah. court. Well, and even in the second act, where we move to Bohemia, and 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 it becomes, and it can become in other productions I've seen, a sort of operetta mm-hmm. <laughs> with these mm-hmm. daffy, delightful villagers, and it, it still retained its intimacy and its um, its focus and effectiveness in Act Two. So you didn't get bogged down in a, in a big, big chorus of songs and dances. We were still focusing on the relationships uh, and everything else. Can you talk about a little bit about how, <laughs> well, how you treated Autolycus? the clown in Act 2, but also uh, the treatment of the bear. Because it's frequently, like, if you're going to decide to do Winter's Tale, all right, first question, how are we doing? What's the bear? Uh, Can you talk about that? Um, Yeah, I can talk about the bear a little bit. You know, I think Bob, that was, of course, it was Bob's first question, you know, (laughs) or among his first questions. Um, And I think you either make it something, you know, very metaphorical uh, or... Uh, and we're fortunate to have the budget to be able to do something that is kind of, I would dare say, realistic. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Bob did not want the bear to be comical, yeah. which in a lot of productions it is, because it's sort of inherently funny when somebody yeah. gets chased off the stage yeah. by a bear, you know? Yeah. Unless you may, unless you go to great lengths to make it not funny. Well, and you guys made a, 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 an actual scene about it, of it, mm-hmm. and, a, and that moment with Antagonist and the bear is quite lovely and powerful. Right, and uh, and you know we have we have a person in a bear suit, but it's a relatively wait. Bear. What? It's not a real bear. What? <laughs> not a real bear. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, uh, but it's you know it's realistic enough that people aren't laughing, and mm-hmm. so then um, our our turning point that Nathan was talking about earlier in terms of clowns coming mm-hmm. on doesn't happen until just after that. Right. Uh, so we're still. In, I mean, I, I almost see that scene as kind of the hinge of the play, mm, um, where yeah, yeah. it's not it's not as tragic as you know it's or it's not a part of this kind of Greek tragedy that's already unfolded. Right. Uh, but it, we're not in comic land yet either, um, and you know I think in a lot of productions that's not necessarily what the bear is. No, as Sigmund Freud said. Sometimes a bear <laughs> is just a bear. Just a bear. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Brian Dennehy, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. We have three performances left of our 2019 tour of the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged revised this spring and summer of 2019 in Meridian, Mississippi this Thursday on May 30th, in Lakeside, Ohio on July 18th, and in Lake Placid, New York on August 10th. We'll also have more performance dates this fall of 2019, both in the U.S. and elsewhere, which we will announce just as soon as we can. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Goodman Theater dramaturg Nina Arndt and actor Nathan Hosner, who plays Polixenes in Robert Falls' production of The Winter's Tale. I saw Phil Johnson uh, as the lead in Animated of the People a year ago, and we did a podcast with him about that. And um, it was so fun to see him in his sort of Ren, more of a Renfair persona as Autolycus. Yes. Was that a thing you discovered in rehearsal, or did Bob go, oh, Phil can just do what he does? That was a Bob Bob thought, you know, I'm going to cast Phil yeah, in yeah. this. And then, then um, Bob goes. also, he'll talk a lot about how it's his belief that the clowns kind of did their own thing, and Shakespeare was, you know, writing the tragedy and, and being this incredible poet, and the clowns were off kind of impro- improving, yeah. um, and then coming back, and some version of what they did got written down. Yes. Um, I and, 100% subscribe to that belief. <laughs> and I think it's true with a lot of his actors, too. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that this was really kind of a group effort. Yeah. So part of Bob's idea with casting Phil was that Phil could uh, function as a clown like that yeah. and who would bring a lot of his own skills and talents and ideas to the table. Obviously, you know, he's still playing the character right. that that has existed for 400 years, but right. but certainly in terms of his energy and the particular sort of jokes <laughs> uh, that that's definitely it's Phil and and yeah. so that was sort of Bob's idea from the start. Yeah. You, you know, my daughter had a question. What is the was it my daughter or my wife? One of them said, "What is the point of Autolycus? I mean, aside from being entertaining and a clown, mm-hmm. what is his what is his function in the play?" And I could maybe cut out this <laughs> tangent of conversation if we don't have an interesting answer, <laughs> but or a satisfactory one. But I, I'm curious because I don't really know the answer to that. That's a really good question because it's hard to look at it in isolation. It's more looking at it in this production. In this production, right, right. Um, but I think what what Phil does that's great um, is uh, when, when we when we come to Bohemia, it, it is different. The relationship with the audience is different, and and I'm always someone who I'm a big fan of talking to the audience, like the audience is really there, I think. And I I hate to say, uh, to be presumptuous and say, well, that's the way it was in Shakespeare, but I think it was. And I think that the clowns in particular have an ability to um, connect with the audience. And so I think Phil does a great job of that out of the gate, which kind of allows him to lean in. Because like you said, it's a strange tonal shift that you have. And I think what we discovered, at least in this, uh, in our production was that Autolycus kind of leads us in some ways through that mm. because his kind of um, you're right he becomes our guide yeah he's because he's bit, kind yeah. of chaotic but he and but he's also 
he's also has this kind of clear idea in what he's doing and he's taking you through it and so in a way you kind of feel safe with him even though he's this pickpocket yeah right um, so I, I at least that's what I've noticed that that the act two really started to take shape when we realized how important Autolycus was right. just to the energy of Bohemia right um, well, and, he, and, and as you say, the, the bear is kind of the hinge on which the, the, the play swings. Autolycus is our guide into this new tone. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the character of time takes us there at the end of Act yeah. One, but then Autolycus really guides us through. I wish dramaturgically that, um, um, and I have some notes for Will Shakespeare about this. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot for Act Two. Yeah, yeah, I wish he had opened the play with time, too. I wish time had opened each act, yeah. you know, and that would really help kind of establish a uniformity or what a unity, sure. one of Aristotle's unities. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just holding forth. Well, now. you know, it's funny you say that. I saw now that you can. Uh, <laughs> but I, I saw a production that Cheek by Jowl did with the Molly Theater Company in I think 1998 or 99 okay. in, in London. And what they had at the top was there was this woman, kind of like this old uh, babushka and kind of rags that you couldn't see her face, and she was kind of sweeping. And then you. Uh, in Act Two, she kind of pulled back these rags, and it was this stunningly beautiful, like red hair comes cascading out. This young woman who mm. becomes time, and then oh, at the cool. end, actually, Mamilius comes running out in his sailor suit, and uh, Time actually went and took his hand and walked him off stage, and it was just this really moving thing. Mm. But but they used a little bit of that person that Love you it. felt like Time was in the beginning. Love it. But but yeah. Um, well, um, well, and so I guess getting to the question of why I have never really cared for the play, I mean, one thing is that it feels like, unlike many of his plays, Winter's Tale feels like it works better on the page than the stage. And I th- it feels like a, most of them, they work, they're meant to be staged, they're meant to be seen, they all work better on the stage, but not Winter's Tale for some reason. But last night, in this production, I kind of, in this moment that we're all in, mm-hmm. it seems absolutely a play about toxic max- masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and I'd forgotten about it, that that I knew Leontes, but I'd forgotten about how kind of asshole uh, Polixenes is. Oh, and I think that's the, Bob talked about that a lot, that yeah. maybe that, unfortunately for right now, is the connective tissue in Act 1 and Act 2 is this, what we see Polixenes do that's seemingly just suddenly out of character. Right. And this kind of viciousness that's in the language, uh, regardless of what you do with it, the language is really, really vicious. Yeah. Um, in fact, in some ways more vicious than stuff Leontes says. And, and is it those two acts of these men who have all this power who can say off with their head right. and people have to do it? Um, so yeah, it definitely has a resonance right now, and it's a strange thing to to be that part of Act Two because it it uh, you can tell the audience is like Whoa, what? right, the audience is disappointed <laughs> in you totally, yeah. and I don't Having get Having seen Polixenes in Act One. You're yeah. like, oh, he seems like a yeah. you know pretty Wait, friendly guy. <laughs> he's kind of the victim, and hey, yeah. and then how do we have? Uh, there, it's a play that's so much about reconciliation that we get an atonement, right, and yet. Again, if I was talking to Shakespeare, I'd say, Shakespeare, we need to punch up the atonement for Polixenes because it just kind of hangs there. And we've tried to deal with it in whatever way that we can in the brief time that we have. But, um, but, but it, is, it is a strange thing. And, and I, 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 you're not alone in saying that. A lot of people, uh, I think our ears are, are perked to this and, and for good reason with toxic masculinity. And I'm, 
Yeah. Well, and, and in a lot of Shakespeare's plays, I think much ado too. You know, uh, um, um, uh, the lovers are reconciled, yeah. and and Hero goes back to Claudio in a way that you go, no, I don't <laughs> yeah. want you going back to Claudio. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Hermione wakes up and goes, takes yeah. him back. Wait, what? No. Right. Right. Although you know what's interesting is she doesn't say anything to him. She, no. she has one line after she comes back, and it's to her daughter. That's another note for Will. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think you can interpret the end of the play in different ways. Mm-hmm. There, there are some lines which we cut in which people are saying, oh, look, she's embracing him. So oh, he right. does seem to indicate that she embraces him. Yeah. Um, but what exactly that looks like and what her body language is, yeah. or, you know, I feel like there are many ways that you could and this play. Well, yes, and the big sure. question, which is I think the thing that I'd be exciting to have the conversation with audience members afterwards is it, it, it does is it what what happened to Hermione and was this Hermione's choice or is this right. something that's more of like a spell that becomes kind of magical mm-hmm. or or is this somebody who who is dealing with processing that kind of trauma or but that seems an odd way to deal with it. So it's a it's a I think in a modern even though it's such a modern play in some ways and it's thorny and strange, I share with you too that it's it's it it's odd because I think people walk away depending on what they believe. No matter what we do at the production, they're still going to walk away with probably very differing opinions about what happened to her. Yeah. Uh, I I think it was all Polina. Your Polina is so fierce. She's She's powerful. Oh my gosh. I absolutely wanted her. I was glad to see that she was in his control from the get go, from the jump. She was not absolutely unintimidated by Leontes or any, or his attendance. She's a great character. She does it. It's a great character. Yeah, Yeah. it's a great character. It's like Amelia. You know, it's just, you know, the the secondary character, you go, oh, I want to see a play about her. You know, mm-hmm. right. Um, right? It's a phenomenal cast, and you know, and and you know what? And maybe I take it back. Maybe I take. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, I, it, you're still a wonderful cast. Um, uh, no, maybe I take back what I say about that. It works better on the page than the stage because the only way I think maybe we can begin to empathize with Leontes and Polixenes yeah. is by uh, by good actors filling it filling it out. And you guys certainly did. That's I mean, true. to the degree that we, you know, we 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 are happy with that with the ending at all. It's because we have seen you guys, all of the actors, you know, struggle. And And Bob really, I think it was great, Bob really gave them, he gave that time with his son's body. He gave the time Mm -hmm. with the two of them. And, and, you know, I think Christiana does a great job at realizing that even though she said all these things Leontes needs to hear, she realizes how much it has impacted him. And I think that we get that real connection. And you wouldn't, those are those kinds of moments that come alive that wouldn't be on the page that I, to me are the most exciting because they're those moments of silence yeah. that are very filled and very active that, that perhaps we can imagine, but, but when you have great actors doing it, it really makes it come to life. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy Podcast. Robert Falls' production of The Winter's Tale runs at the Goodman Theater in Chicago until June 9th, 2019. Go to goodmantheater.org for more information. Then send us your bear costume via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. 
thanks as always to living statue Matthew Croak. Web services by Ginger Power Limited. Music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Julie Cortez. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to living legend Brian Dennehy. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 650 1950ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. The first three previews of this of this show, we did it with no intermission. Oh. Um, and it was about 2.15. The Battle of the Bladder. Yeah. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> um, and then we cut a bunch, so now we have about two hours of stage time plus a 15 intermission. So it's about the same length that it was, yeah. but but you have a pee break, yeah. essentially. I think that's I think that's wise. I mean, Winter's Tale is, is great, but it's no Avengers Endgame. <laughs> it's no Avengers Endgame. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to Reduce shakespeare.com for performance dates after bios email newsletters and so much less